0: This is the Byron Bledsoe podcast, senior pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. We're excited to have you joining us today. If you're a part of C3, man, know that Angie and I miss you. We look forward to seeing you hopefully very soon, but we're grateful for the technology that allows us uh, to come from our home into your home. And then if you've never been to C3, We really want to welcome you we're excited that you're joining us today we want you to know that at c3 every single person matters and so we're glad that you're connected with us today in this service i want to make you aware that throughout the service there's going to be a phone number in the lower part of the screen it's 407-602-4141 and that number's there so that if you have any questions As we roll through the message today, you can text us that number and this evening I'll pop on social media, uh, this evening or first thing in the morning, and answer whatever the most common questions were. We're in a series called Unique, and it's a series that's really all about you. Often we hear about how we're supposed to love God and love others in church. We've got that down. We know at least we're supposed to do that, whether we do or not. But Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, I get it. I'm supposed to, don't always do that well, but I'm supposed to do that. But love yourself, we don't hear that talked about. And I don't know that we know how to do that. And part of the reason is often we don't know ourselves. We spend so much time in life trying to fit into who people think we should be or how they think we should do things or are we trying to be like this person or that person or trying to have this personality or that personality. And often people live their entire lives never really discovering who they really are. So this is a series that's all about you. And we're using a tool called the Enneagram. It's a tool from hundreds of years ago where basically uh, some Christian monks this way to know the nine different types of people. And what's amazing is, founded in Scripture, we find all these people. And so each week we're looking at a biblical passage that deals with whatever that type is. Nine different types of people. This morning we're talking about type 8. 8 is the challenger. Now if you're part of C3, I told you that when we got to my number, I would tell you, I am an 8. 8 is my number. And so if you're also an 8, there may be aspects... Uh, during this talk today that feel a little bit intense because I tend to come a little bit stronger uh, toward myself. And so if it feels like that, just remember, hey, I'm talking to me. Eights are the challengers. If uh, you're wondering, okay, who are some other eights? Martin Luther King Jr. was an eight. Winston Churchill was an eight. Steve Jobs was an eight. Aids challenge the system. They, they think in ways of how things could be done better. They see what's not being done, and they think of ways of how it could be improved. They, they challenge the status quo. Aids can be very confrontational, and they, they don't have a problem being direct and clear and saying what they think. And often, because Aids can be strong in their personality and powerful, they can sort of bulldoze people without even realizing it. So as we go to Scripture... I want to look at the story of someone who was an eight, and I think there's some things that we can glean from this. In Exodus chapter 2, we, we drop into what's happening in the story of the life of Moses. Chapter 2 verse 11 says, one day after Moses had grown up, Moses was an eight. There are many eights in the Bible. Moses was an eight, Nathan was an eight, Samson was an eight, a lot of eights. But Moses, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. They, they were slaves. They were in captivity to the Egyptian people. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. One of the things about AIDS is that they can't stand injustice. They can't stand people being mistreated. Aids are the champion of the underdog. If they see somebody that's not doing well or an area that's not doing well, they want to come in and and be the champion of that. Notice what happens. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. So Moses just says, I'm out. He gets out of there, he goes to Midian. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Again, he notices people being mistreated, people not being treated well, and he's going to jump in and do something about it. And so that's just who Moses was. He ends up going to that home. He ends up marrying one of the daughters. He's living there. And then if you've read the Bible, you know the story where God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to confront Pharaoh, and you're going to be the messenger to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. I wonder if part of the reason God picked Moses was Moses is an eight. And so while he has some deep insecurities, eights are not without insecurity, once he believes, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what God wants me to do, he has no problem challenging authority, saying anything he needs to say that's the truth and dealing with the issue that God's asking him to deal with. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, we read this verse, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Think about the words God is using with Moses. I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Those are words that will make an eight pay attention and notice, okay, somebody's in misery, somebody's crying out, somebody's suffering, they're being oppressed by somebody else. It's not their own fault. You think of Martin Luther King, who was an aide, who said, Hey, this is not right how an entire group of people, are or the way they're being treated, it's not okay. Winston Churchill said, hey, it's, it's not okay. We need to stand for freedom, and we don't need to give up. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs is released because of he's, he's functioning in an unhealthy way in some areas. Then he's brought back to Apple, and when they say, hey, what do we think is going on? What are the problems? Steve listens to everybody talking about what the problems are, and then he says, no, the problem is our product sucks. We have some things we need to address. He speaks clearly to that issue. So the challenger, we see it in the life of Moses, you see it in those that are eights today, the challenger reflects God's power. And it can be a beautiful thing when healthy. When when an eight is healthy, they're the person that you want in your corner. It can also be extremely difficult uh, when an eight is unhealthy. But they reflect the power of God. When healthy, an eight is strong and confident. Eights are very strong, very confident, not confident necessarily in themselves, but confident in whatever the mission is, whatever their focus is, whatever they feel like, hey, this has to be done in the world, or, or this has to change in the organization and how things are running. They, they become very confident in that and, and powerful enough in their personality to pull that off. When healthy, AIDS also desire a more just world. They just want people to be treated the way they should be treated. That They want the world to be a just place. They don't want anybody being mistreated, mishandled. They don't want anybody being bullied. It's just who an eight is. Also, when eights are healthy, they communicate directly. (laughs) Moses walks into Pharaoh. Hey, God said, let my people go. The most powerful person in the world, he's going to be short and sweet, to the point. We're not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to tell you, let the people go. This is what needs to happen. And so eights can be extremely direct in their communication. When they're healthy, they get to the point. Also, when an eight is healthy, eights can lead and influence others to get things done. Think about who Moses is. He comes back and has to convince all the people of Israel, hey, God told me this, and I want to help lead you all out of here. I want to help get us out of captivity and into freedom, into the land God has for us. And he's able to lead and influence an entire nation of people, and he gets things done. Also, when healthy eights are protective of the vulnerable, sometimes overly protective, but but when healthy, they're going to be the ones protecting the people that need to be protected. When healthy eights also are always in pursuit of tenderness and mercy. A healthy eight recognizes my personality can tend to be somewhat dominant, and I can tend to Uh, push things in the direction of it's my way or the highway. And so a healthy eight is always going to be in pursuit of tenderness and mercy. And it's going to be something that's on their mind and something they're being intentional about. Hey, I I want to be more tender in conversation with this person. I want to be more merciful uh, in my decisions. When unhealthy, an eight uses power to dominate others and get things done their way. Part of the struggle for eights is when it comes to leadership, a vast majority of the time in the decisions that are being made, eights, you're right. You, you, and it's not because you're good. It's not because I'm good. It's how God has wired us. It's, it's a gift God's given us so we can see things in leadership that need to be done. And often we're right about it. But if we're not careful, we forget that while often we're right, we're not always right. And we can tend to think in a process in a way that what I think matters and how I want things done matters. And nobody else They don't matter. This is how it needs to be done. And if the world would just think like me, live like me, drive like me, function like me, we would all be fine. And so when an aid is unhealthy, we can sort of become so self-consumed that we use whatever power we have, the power you have in your family or the power you have at the office or if you manage or lead people or you have employees, the power you have there. We can use power to dominate others, to get things done our way. And it's not always the healthiest or the best way. Also when unhealthy, eights avoid being uncomfortably emotional. It's not that as an eight, uh, you you don't ever wanna be emotional. You wanna be emotional and you're okay being emotional in the areas that you're okay with it. But emotion from people that you don't know well or extreme emotions in, in, in public. If somebody gets upset and starts crying, and, and it gets kind of uncomfortable and you're not sure how to deal with it, AIDS will just check out. Like that, that, that's When they're unhealthy, AIDS avoid being uncomfortably emotional. Also, when unhealthy, AIDS are forceful, insensitive, and combative. AIDS can be the kind of people that walk in a room and try to size up who, who's the most powerful person in the room. And, and when an AIDS is healthy they have no problem respecting that person and seeing them for who they are. And if the other person is the leader of the organization or the, the head coach of the team or whatever it is, as long as an eight respects that person, they'll, they'll follow their leadership. But sometimes in an unhealthy way, eights can be kind of forceful and say, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to put you in your place. I'm going to show that I know more about this than you know about it. Eights can also be very insensitive. When unhealthy... The idea that other people have feelings doesn't even register in our minds when we're functioning in an unhealthy way. The thought that these words might affect somebody in a bad way or if I say something and somebody kind of makes a face like that, when you're, when you're unhealthy as an eight, you don't even notice that. It doesn't even matter to you. And eights can be combative. When you're unhealthy as an eight, these are the people that look for arguments. These are the people that look for a reason to argue and a reason to discuss things in a way that it creates kind of a tension in the room for other people and they have no problem sparring verbally or going to war verbally over an issue that there's disagreement with somebody that they're talking to. When unhealthy, AIDS can be forceful, insensitive, and combative. Also when unhealthy, AIDS are, when unhealthy, relationally unaware. AIDS don't recognize that often Our directness can lack compassion and mercy and tenderness and can hurt the feelings of people. We we can, not just verbally, but the air about us, our presence, can sort of bulldoze people in a room, in a meeting, or in a conversation. And we don't even know it. We are relationally unaware. It It is a massive blind spot when it comes to AIDS, when we're functioning in an unhealthy way. We're not aware of what's happening, how it's affecting other people, or how they're feeling about it. Also, when unhealthy, eights, <laughs> eights don't see the value of the opinion of others. When unhealthy, an eight can think, look, I've already got this figured out. We don't need to waste time in a 30 minute meeting, we don't need to talk about this for an hour. I already know what we need to do. And as other people talk and offer their opinions, an eight will sort of in their mind think, okay, 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 say what you need to say. Let's get on. I already know what we're going to do. So when we're unhealthy, other people's opinions don't matter. We don't value that. Don't care to hear it. View it as a waste of time. The core sin, now the core sin of an eight, and by the way, let me say this. Each number we've walked through, <clears throat> the core sin is something that nobody likes their core sin. And so the more pushback you have, the more pushback I have to a core sin might mean that's our core sin. The core sin for eights is lust. It's not something you want to talk about. It's not something you want to go share at community group. Hey, my core sin is lust. But let me explain what I mean by lust. It can be a sexual kind of lust. For example, in the Old Testament, Samson was an eight and he was driven in so many ways by lust, had a huge blind spot and and lust ended up sort of imploding in his life. So it can be a sexual lust, but, but it's, it's deeper than that. For an eighth, the core sin of lust is, is a lust, a craving for the life I want to live and how I want to live it, and how I want you to live it. it it's a lust for how I want things done, how I think we all should be. Um, that, that really is at the root Of what an eight wrestles with. The core need in an eight is to be in control, to be in charge, to be the one making the decisions. And not not necessarily out of a prideful or selfish motivation, but just because eights can see so clearly how things need to happen and what needs to be done, that if they're in control, they feel like they can make that happen. But it's It's not just a need to be in control. It's bigger than that. It's really a need to not be controlled. I remember when I was a kid uh, growing up, my grandmother lived about 15 minutes out of town. And so when we would go to her house, it felt like it was out in the country. It was only 15 minutes, but it, it felt like it was an hour and a half. And every single time we would go visit her, we'd get in the car to leave and start backing out of the driveway. She would come out and tell you how to back out of the driveway every single time. She didn't just do that to me. She did that to my parents. She did that to anybody. Anybody that came to her house, no matter how many times you've been there, she would tell you how to back out of the driveway. Now, <coughs> I was very close to my grandmother. Loved her deeply. But that drove me nuts. Because in eight, the core need is not just to be in control. It's bigger than that. It's really not to be controlled. So eights can be extremely sensitive if you're trying to somehow control them. If you're giving them directions when they've driven to this place a thousand times before. If you're trying to tell them, hey, this is what I think you need to do in this scenario. If it's not been asked for, your opinion, then an eight can easily translate that as you're trying to control me, you're trying to manipulate me. The core fear of the eights, being controlled by others. It's what eights wrestle with. I don't want to be controlled by anybody. So for eights, what are the things we need to be aware of when it comes to ourselves? I think the verse that comes to mind is Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Hey, Eights, <coughs> you are loved. You are deeply loved. Clothe yourselves. And then Scripture is going to give us some things we need to clothe, clothe ourselves with, but we have to be intentional. This is a responsibility that we have to own, that we have to take. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. So in our conversations, how can I be more compassionate? Clothe yourselves with kindness. Hey, in the decision I'm about to make, how can I be more kind? Clothe clothe yourselves with humility. Recognize if I'm the smartest person at the table. (coughs) I'm not helping the organization. If you lead something, if I lead something, we need to have people at the table smarter than us. And we need to be humble enough to recognize, while as age, you have a lot of great ideas, you don't have every great idea. Other people bring something to the family, to the organization, even to your life and mine. So we have to be intentional about living in a kind of humility where we recognize the value of other people and their opinions. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Now, as an eight, you really have to focus on being gentle, it doesn't come naturally. And patience those are things that we have to be intentional about and focus on every day in my conversations, in my relationships, as I walk through this day how can I be more compassionate? How can I be more kind? How can I be more humble? How can I be more gentle? How can I be more patient? And it's it's an area where I have to focus on, this is what I need to happen inside of me. Then when it comes to others, James chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Now that word submissive, it means literally willing to yield to others. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, I need to be willing to yield to others, full of mercy, I need to have mercy toward others, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then when it comes to God as an eight, the verse that comes to mind is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness in insults and hardships in persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now for an eight, the idea of being weak, you don't want that in any part of your mindset, Weak is like kryptonite. You don't want that around you. But I think we have to recognize as people, listen, we're all broken. We're all messed up. We all have areas of weakness. And and it's when we recognize, hey, I'm actually weak, that God can then help me utilize His strength in that area of my life. I don't want to just rely on me. I've messed a lot of things up. I need God's strength. I need God's wisdom. So when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because I've learned that I have a massive dependency on God. I need God. Eights, we need God. And really any number. It doesn't matter what your Enneagram number is. We all need God. And we need to depend on Him. So how do you love an eight? If you're married to an eight, one of your kids maybe is an eight, uh, they're constantly challenging you, somebody at work is an eight, people that you're close friends with are an eight. How do you love an eight? First of all, notice when they're sensitive. Because it doesn't come naturally. So when they're being sensitive, in the conversation, if they're using more tender kind of words, if they're being compassionate in a scenario, notice that. I appreciate you sitting down and having that conversation with one of our kids. You know, we talked through that. I know that's not necessarily easy for you to walk through that and listen that way and pay attention. And then what you said, instead of slamming them, which would have come so easy... You, you really chose to see a different perspective and you were sensitive to their feelings and you saw that they didn't need to be beat up anymore about that. They felt bad enough and you were able to encourage them. Notice that when an eight does that. Uh, another way to love an eight is to be clear and direct in communication. For the eights in your life, don't beat around the bush. It drives them, it drives us nuts. If you have something to say to me, say it to me. I don't need the build-up. I don't need the sales pitch. I don't want you hemming and hawing around. Just, just get it out. Be clear and direct in communication. Another way to love an eight is to stand up for them. Eights will stand up alone if they have to. Eights are the people that if they believe something's right, and especially as a Christ follower, <clears throat> if we believe God is leading in a certain way and there's something God wants us to do, eight will, they will do that even if nobody else stands with them. But if you stand with them, that level of loyalty is profoundly felt in the heart of an eight. If you defend them in conversations in the office, if you, if you stand with them, and, and not just for the sake of doing it, but when you believe, hey, they're right, because I think one of the things we have to recognize is sometimes, although an eight can be very direct, and it may hurt our feelings the way they say something, if we step back and think about it, often they're right. And so... Focus on that and stand up for them when you can and stand with them. Another way to love an eight, don't assume the worst about them. Don't assume the worst about them. And now this is true for everybody, but when it comes to AIDS, often again, because of the personality, because of how AIDS will say things so directly and be so clear in what they're trying to communicate and Uh, they're relationally unaware so they're not aware that what they're saying is hurting your feelings they just feel like you need to hear it because it's gonna help you be better and it's gonna help you grow and so here's the thing I need to tell you don't assume the worst when they do that they're not trying to hurt your feelings don't take it personally they're not thinking okay what can I say that's gonna diminish you and make you feel as stupid as possible that's not what they're thinking they're thinking oh my goodness here's something maybe they don't see I need to let them know here's the deal here's the thing you need to know here's the thing you need to hear don't take it personally. Recognize, hey, they're just trying to communicate and how God has gifted them and some things they may see. They're trying to communicate some things that I need to hear and I need to process and I need to evaluate. Listen, when it, when it comes to the eights, and really this is true for any number, people imitate what you celebrate. So when there are those moments that an eight, you notice, is leaning into compassion, leaning into mercy, leaning into thoughtfulness, being trying really hard to be more aware of the people around them and, and their opinions, be sensitive to their thoughts and their feelings when that's happening, celebrate that. And we all like when people celebrate something about our lives and so people imitate what you celebrate. You can enhance and accelerate good behavior and good thinking in the people around you when you celebrate the things that need to be celebrated that help them grow. Now let me give you a prayer for the eights. If you're an eight, here's your prayer. God, help me to recognize that you alone are God, not me. Help me to trust you daily and to recognize that you have a plan. Help me to find people that see my heart behind my actions. Help me to be vulnerable and open with those I love and to live relying on your strength. If you're an eight, man, you might want to pray that every day this week. And then maybe you're watching this morning, you're you're with us online, and you know deep in your life, maybe you're an eight, maybe you're not, maybe you're not an eight, but as you as you step back and realize, hey, we all have areas where we're healthy and we all have areas where we're unhealthy. We're all broken in some ways, and none of us can ever be who we'd really love to be in life. None of us can ever fully be the person God created us to be until we have a relationship with God in a personal way. And that happens by committing our lives to Christ. God loved us so much that He sent Christ to die for our sin, your sin, my sin, because we all have that in our lives. And then He rose again, defeating sin. Why? So that you and I could know God in a deeply personal and intimate way. See, faith is not about just believing some things. It's bigger than that. It is an intimate connection with a holy God. And so maybe today you know that the greatest need in your life is to begin a relationship with Christ. You look around at what's happening in culture, where we have more questions than answers, where we're not sure what tomorrow's going to look like or next month is going to look like, where things are changing at such a rapid pace all around us, and it continues to be that way, the stability, the anchor for life is a relationship with God. I don't know what holds tomorrow, someone has said, but I know who holds tomorrow, and that's God. And so today, as you're watching this, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And you can pray this prayer out loud. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that Jesus knows even our thoughts. And so if you'd like to commit your life to Christ today, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you.